0: Good to, good to have you on board. Good to finally actually fucking join up here. Yeah. A, a joint effort between the uh, the Heat Locker and what's the, the Sunny Brown Breakdown. Is that is that the official – am I saying that right? That's the official name, mate. It's not, you know, oh.
1: nothing to do with mental issues, I can tell you. It's just uh, – yep. people yep. assume that that's what the YouTube channel was called, so I just went ahead and um, did that for the podcast because really? kind of just – you know, make it easy for people to to remember. Yeah, man,
0: I like it. Well, today's going to be a collaboration, a joining of um, a joining of the two. This will be the first time for that for me for the Heat Logger. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, starting off, it's not the
1: first time we have joined up. We've done some commentary no. together yeah. on the uh, on the Gladiators show, um, and also I was lucky enough to actually train under you back in it's got to be like 2015 or when did your when did your gym uh open up out at S- sydney west
0: yeah so we've got sydney west martial arts we opened 2014 so 2014 we opened up in about june and i got a feeling you came to us either late that year or or early the next year i actually forget the actual timings but yeah you were still a brown belt at the time saying yep. you're now a uh, well-established black <laughs> belt black belt <laughs> I think yeah. I was. I think I uh, was. I a black belt or was I? Did I still have a brown belt? I don't know. I think
1: you may have been brown as well. Maybe
0: in a brown belt because yeah, I got my. that's I got my black. The end of fourteen. Uh, what are we in? No end of. Good question. End of fourteen. I'm sure it was. Hmm. Was it fifteen? Jesus, I don't know. I'm not sure. I,
1: I think maybe I had my purple when I started, and then there was the the end of year rollover, and I got. To yep. Brown at that time, I, th- I think, but uh, I mean that was good. That was good training. I was very lucky to have that connection with the uh the Machado lineage. That's you know when I went, I moved out out to Penrith, and Anthony said,
0: you know, check out Luke Martin.
1: Mm.
0: Um, yeah, and but I was, it was look if I'm being if I'm being br- if I'm being totally honest there, uh, I was I was rubbish. Like I was I was slightly better than your average guy, but I was still rubbish on the big scale of things. Like, and I didn't, I didn't realize how rubbish I was. That's the thing. And that's what started going on this little rant already. But a lot okay. of, a lot of people don't realize how rubbish they are. And I don't mean that with any disrespect because I was in exactly the same boat. And when I say rubbish, I'm not saying you don't know jiu-jitsu. I'm just saying it's a different. You're you, you don't understand the ruler you're measuring against. You think is a is a one meter ruler, but it's actually a twenty meter ruler. You know, you think you're up towards the end of the one meter mark, and you realise actually the meter doesn't end there; it keeps going. You know, that's not the best analogy, but it's kind of like you don't know that there's more yeah. to
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember at the time you're you know you're very keen on leg locks mm. before the kind of current wave had yep. set in and mm. even we had that uh seminar out there with dean lister um OG, brought, OG. Brought, yeah yeah i you, you know you you were you were pumped for that i was pumped mm. for that um and that that was really good um a, a funny thing that stood out for me with that seminar was when he got the uh the laptop out to show the highlights of his yeah. of his victories you remember that i think he was and trying to
0: impress he, a few of the girls in the room
1: well, it was he, he was trying to say like look, I think like look my stuff works Yep. yeah yeah sure um, that I'm sh- that I'm showing and I felt that well we know that that's why we're yeah that's why we've paid that's why we've paid money to come see you we're he's well, a cool dude well aware he's a oh, cool
0: yeah. dude he's um he's he's such a character Dean Lister. like he's um if you've had any chance to actually sit down so I got a chance after that. To spend a bit of time with him, and I drove him to the airport the next day and did all that stuff. So I got a chance to actually talk with him. And yeah, he's a wild man. He's he's a he's a legitimate fighter. He's not he's not just your average smart jiu-jitsu nerd like some of these guys that um you know that we come across now. He he's like a legitimate fighter who's also was like a OG in jiu-jitsu and particularly in leg locking. But you know, it's like comparing. And this is no disrespect to Lister. Lister is you know one of my Favorite guys because he was a guy doing something i was into at such a you know embryonic stage yep he was doing it early in the piece when it when there wasn't all these guys that are around now and but um it's like comparing uh, you know an old commodore 64 to a to a new computer nowadays you know it's not really very fair they're, they're two different things mm. um it's and it's that it's that much difference as well
1: yeah so that's like since then and i think at that stage there wasn't you know the Danaher, dvds went out obviously and there wasn't that much stuff out there on on that at the at that time you know lister was still kind of the i guess the man for leg locks when he Mm when when that when he did that seminar um and you were you were interested in that but since then obviously you know the danaher guys have come on the scene and you were well placed to you know for uh you know, pick up their style, pick up their, their methods. Cause you were already spending so much time with leg locks. And now it seems like since then you've obviously traveled overseas, but to train with uh, Danaher himself, but like, what was it for you that then that took took you down that, took you down that path?
0: The path of leg locks or the path of Danaher?
1: Let's, well, let's start with just with leg locks to begin with. Yeah. Cause I think that's, that kind of leads into, you know, leads into the, the Getting to
0: Danaher. Huh? Yeah, I don't know. So I started I started getting into leg locks as a blue belt. So that was about 2007, I want to say, around then. And I, as you know, you've been around for a long time too. There wasn't as much access to information. So you didn't know. Hmm. You didn't know there was this guy doing this and that. It was kind of like everyone was just stuck in their own little academy. You kind of knew there was a couple of these world champions. You knew Marcelo Garcia. You knew. But I wasn't like immersed in knowing every jiu-jitsu player because it just wasn't as easy to follow. So I kind of just was just training. I liked grappling and I think I sucked at passing maybe. And uh, like most leg lockers start out that way, they suck at passing. So they start just sitting back on legs. And um, I don't know, I just, for me, it just felt like here's another option to submit somebody. I was just trying to trying to work out how to submit people. And I thought, well, you know, it's just why not jump on their legs? They're just there. I'm trying to pass their legs are there. Why not? So it kind of just was a matter of that. I wasn't any sort of, you know it wasn't it wasn't like I had this idea, no one else had. I just I just started doing this thing that I thought, well, there's a there in front of me.
1: yeah, I mean, that's
0: probably where most people start with the leg locking. And that's, I mean, I put a big emphasis on my academy now where I'm like guys I do not want you ever to be known as somebody who can't pass the guard and you're doing this like things have moved well and truly past that nowadays yeah. but but in the beginning I think that's where it kind of started it was like ah oh, fuck I can't get oh, I'll just jump on his leg and try and make something and you know his level of understanding of defensive procedures are probably so small and my little bit of understanding of trying to just crank on his foot and oh I got a submission but but yeah. I can't say nothing I was doing was good it was all absolute rubbish you know, but but it was just that my rubbish was better than their rubbish defense, so you know I got a I got a uh, you know a submission. But I um I'm very open when I look at my look at my training, and I think you should be any practitioner should be. I'm very honest with myself. Like um, I'm still I'll still film my rounds and watch back and go Ah oh, fuck that's rubbish. Should have had that, and and I think that's a, that's probably a good thing to do. Um, so I'm very very harsh on myself back then, but that's where it started. So then I started the you know because I was always into mixed martial arts. That's my real passion. I yeah, enjoy I
1: enjoy
0: I enjoy watching Mishmark. We kind of went through that same that same pattern, you know. And um and then the, there was a couple of guys getting around that were doing MMA. There was obviously Huzama Palhares. So I'm like, I'd watch Palhares' fights, and I'm just like, fuck, here's a guy doing this stuff that I've been into. He's doing it in fights, he's doing it and he and he was at a stage at one stage where we thought I thought he might have actually been a legitimate champion. I thought he might have been a maybe a welterweight champion or middleweight champion. And yep. and I thought this guy's just going to tear everyone's leg off. And he kind of did that for a bit until he got himself kicked out. But um, you know, definitely it was just something that kept coming back to me as an interesting. I'm like, this is super cool, and it's a part of the game people aren't doing. And I've always been attracted to something. If there's something someone else isn't doing, it's like if that's something that I see some value in. Well, here's an avenue that's not not you know, it's not the beaten path, but eventually it might be. And I'm kind of like, yes, not lucky, but it, it obviously has become now. It's like, it's maybe it's even had its thing is so popular Yeah, over the last probably four years or so. So I'm kind of in a position where I've been doing this for a little while. So I'm a little bit ahead of the game, but it would have been no good me relying back on the leg locks from 2008 that I was doing, because it's like I said, it's pure rubbish. So you have to continue to upskill. So that's kind of where it got to the point where I'm watching, you know, I'm watching a few of these leg lock guys. I'm watching Lister and I'm watching, you know, just trying to watch YouTube stuff. And, um, it was very difficult because back, back, I feel like YouTube was barely even a good thing back then. There wasn't as much content as there is now. Yeah. You know, you couldn't just go and watch everything. And then, I started watching EBI and I was like, EBI really interested me because it was a form of submission grappling where these guys were doing something different. The matches were about trying to submit each other. The matches weren't, they just seemed like a different thing and I don't need to go through that. I think people probably know that already, that that it was a, a more of a pure thing. Guys were trying to win. There was money, so it was like if they can submit a guy, they'll get more money and, and that obviously promotes guys to try to finish more than just win by a, I don't know, maybe an advantage or a point or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's where I started seeing Gary Tone and, and I started seeing this form of grappling that was different to what I'd seen and definitely different to what the rest of us seen And and I'm – rather than being like a guy who could be kind of like, ah, fuck those guys. It's a different type of thing. My coach's thing is what we should be doing. There's a lot of guys that are very kind of bullish in that regard. I I was like, no, nah, this is, I think this is something to this. And I'd heard some good stuff about Danaher. Like he he wasn't a big name at that stage, but because I was into MMA, I knew Danaher through George St-Pierre and yep. obviously George was maybe one of the best grapplers of mixed martial arts like still to this day mm. you could it's hard to go against him uh, yeah uh, hard to argue against that yeah and, and he was a guy who did all his training under john danaher or by extension under for us a hobby, who is a john danaher black belt so i was like okay everything's leading towards this direction so but Jitsu for me was still just a, a hobby it was a th- something i was just doing on the side so once I started doing it as an actual career, once it became a thing where it's like I want to be able to give my students the best possible information. I don't want to just regurgitate some old stuff I'd been taught. I wasn't happy with that. I want to give them the best. I want to, I want to know that I'm, I'm giving them absolutely everything I could possibly give them. So I think it was 2016 or 2017 – I was in a position financially where I could finally afford, because obviously gyms don't make a lot of money, particularly in the beginning. And I finally got to a point where I'm like, okay, I think I can do this. And, and I did it. I made that first pilgrimage over to New York. I didn't know anybody. So obviously, I decided I'd split my time between um, Marcelo's and between Henzo's. Mm-hmm. So I went over there and, and that, made sense, that made sense to me. It's like Marcelo Garcia like is the best in the world. I'd, um, I'd followed his uh, MG online. If you've seen any of his stuff, like I, there was lots of good stuff. And I'm like, this is great. So I split my time between the two. And it was very interesting, uh, you know, two, two, two academies, both with very high-level guys, but just how different they were between the type of jiu-jitsu they were doing and even just the academy itself, you know. Like you go to Marcelo's and Marcelo's like the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He's the, you know, probably the best grappler of all time. Definitely, you know, um, yeah, you can make the argument that Gordon's probably now a better a better submission grappler. But, you know, mm. Marcelo, for most people, he's definitely right up there. And he's just the best guy. Like, so cool. He, every day I'd walk in the academy and be like, hey, Luke, how you going? Like, And I'm like, this is, this is Marcelo Garcia, and he's saying hi to me. And um, so I really enjoyed that. But every time I went to Henzo's, I just got fucking raped like <laughs> like i'd never like i'd never felt before like i couldn't stop it they were doing this shit at marcelo's like the guys like um uh, jonathan jonathan sativa and um you know gianni grippo and though and mateus deniz like they were they were definitely good but i knew what they were doing to me it was like you know heavy passing style and it was like you know G- uh, gianni like works and bolo stuff but i kind of knew what was going on but at henzo's mm-hmm. it was like fucking dark arts so i was like I've never experienced this control and this ability to get to a finish before. And and that was really appealing to me. And um and then once you sit in on a Danaher class and you sit in front of the guy, you know, you can get you can get a little bit taken away with just his ability to impart information. He's like I've never been to uni, but I feel like he's like a really good, high quality lecturer, like a guy that just knows his stuff but knows how to impart that knowledge. Like no one I've ever seen, and um, so by the end of that fortnight, I'd pretty much decided I could see the direction I wanted to go. Then it was a then it was it was actually quite frustrating because I'd seen what I wanted now, but I'm like, how do I how do I turn my academy from me just being a brown belt, you know, out in Sydney? To trying to follow this direction because the the DVDs hadn't even come out yet either. Yeah. So so I was still like, uh, you know, I'm just gonna have to try and get this information. I'd been watching, before I went there, I'd been watching EBIs in slow-mo, watching like a Gary Toner match in slow-mo. So it'd take 40 minutes for a 10-minute match and trying to work out, okay, so he set up that. Why did he do that? And you know, it's very difficult to reverse engineer like that, but it was the best I could do. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to get to a workable level? But these guys have got John here; they're all pushing each other and I'm going to go back home and try and come up with something. So I'm actually very, I'm actually very happy with where I've got from that moment in time, probably in early 2017 to now midway through 2020 or early 2020 being at the level we're at. Like, I feel like yeah. we've, we've really got somewhere and, um, you know, the main reason for that is a guy called Jason Round. I think you wanted to ask me about him. Yeah, definitely. Because, mm-hmm. uh,
1: yeah, on, I mean, on a few of those things, I've been out – Uh, out there to train with you a few times recently and I've definitely felt you've put in a lot of work Mm. Um, and your students as well I could I could tell rolling with them that they've uh, they've taken a lot of that knowledge in especially to the point where you um, you're definitely not just leg locking or anything anymore Mm. it's certainly the the whole system that you that you've been able to work and yeah so I know that you know You've, you've made a, a connection with Jason Rao and I, I remember at the time it was still before the uh, the DVDs had come out and you'd mentioned that you were taking private lessons from him over over Skype and it was, and you were kind of like, oh, don't, you know, still don't know at the time if that's, if that's cool or not. Obviously things have changed now. Um, but it was very, it's, you're the first person that I've heard of actually doing that and it's obviously a big step to do that to get that from the the top of the food chain type information. So, I mean, how did you come into contact with Jason Rao and what what set that up?
0: Yeah, so first of all, thanks for the thanks for the um the praise. I appreciate that. Um, that's what I want. That's what I want. What I want is what I experienced when I went into Henzo's that first day. I don't expect people to experience the same thing because obviously he's got a room full of guys he's been working with for longer, and John Danaher is the best coach in the world. But I kind of want him to get that same, a pseudo version of that experience. I want it to be where they come in and go, this is a different thing. You know, we've all done jujitsu. This is a different thing. They're submitting me. They're chaining things together. And like you said, you come in thinking they're just going to be leg locking, but as soon as you try to, you know, worry about a leg lock, then next thing you're getting arm locked or kimura it or back taken and. A past and it's it's that constant you know marauding style where you just don't know where the next attack's coming from that something eventually catches you and and that's what has a, that's what's attracted me and i think sorry that's also what keeps me having such a high passion for this like my passion hasn't dwindled whatsoever if anything it's is gaining fire every day and just because i realize there's so much more and and i don't mean that like you know, someone standing out, getting their belt, and giving that fucking corny speech about, "Oh, I'm a black belt now. I'm going to go into learning all this bullshit." Like I'm telling you, legitimately, <laughs> yeah. like I can see what's there in front of me, and the level I want to get to, and the level I want my students to get to, and and that that's what has like a burning fucking desire inside me. And um, Jason Rao is is really him, and John Danaher are the reasons, right? Obviously, John Danaher is kind of the root of all this because it's his mastermind that spawned all these crazy motherfuckers over there like Jason. Jason was always going to be brilliant, but Jason getting that touch of John Danaher, and I've had this conversation with him a few times. Um, if you go back to one of the, the latest podcasts I did with Jason in New York, um, we talk about you know John's influence and, and, and the way he gets guys thinking in a certain way. And um, he definitely did that with Rao, who then has just run with that, you know, um, he's a brilliant guy, but um yeah, it was really quite, quite lucky. I don't believe in luck. I kind of because uh, I think you make your own luck, but it was still a bit lucky. Um, mm. I hit him up on Instagram when I went over the first time. So before I went over the first time, I'm watching Ebi's and I've seen him do reverse dollar I'm thinking that looks like a guard I need to add. It looks like a guard that'll work well with what we're doing. But I didn't know anyone. No one was using it here. I didn't know anyone that could teach it to me, especially for no gi. Like, um, you know, this guy's using Dellaheva in the gi, but not as much reverse. Like reverse Dellaheva was a little bit kyotera but it's hard to get a whole lot. Anyway, it was. I was like, I found Jason Rao's instructional, and if anyone wants to buy it, it's on Dijitsu. Highly recommend it. Um, highly recommend all his stuff. None of his stuff is overly overly heavily priced, but the information is as good as you get from gordon ryan like it's phenomenal um anyway so i jump on there i get this thing for like 20 bucks or something it wasn't much money and um i start learning reverse de la and i'm like okay that was really cool and they kind of like up the level of my game It up the level of my students and um i just contacted him on instagram i'm like man i just got you in strength it was awesome and he was like oh straight back to me that's awesome blah blah, blah. so we kind of just made that contact and then when i was heading out i just hit him up again i said look i'm coming to train any chance we can just catch up. I just, I wasn't trying to fanboy him. I don't do anything like that, but I just thought, Oh, I kind of know this guy. I'll just yeah, see him in the training room. And it just turns out Jason and I are actually very similar people. And we kind of hit it off these days. started chatting, um, did the AM session at Henzo's and then chatted kind of in between and went and got a coffee and whatever. And then from there we've, you know, been in contact every week since then, since like the last three plus years. Mm. Um, or around three years I should say, probably, yeah. So so anyway, so I get I get that initial dose of of, of uh, Henza Gracie Academy and I'm like, fuck, this is this is so good. But I can't just go home and then you know, go back in another my initial plan was every two years, every year and a half. You know, it's quite expensive. New York's yeah. probably the most probably the most expensive place in the world to travel to. There's there's you know, the flights are expensive, the Commodore, everything, everything's against you. So I'm thinking Oh, this is not going to work me try, me going there every 2 years i mean let's be realistic for 2 weeks what what am i going to get like i'm going to get a little bit and and that's the thing you, you nowadays you talk to people and they go oh my buddy went to Henzo's this guy went to Henzo's mm. yeah just cuz he went to Henzo's for a week doesn't mean he's not he's not doesn't know leg locks he doesn't know yeah. he doesn't and i'm not saying that as a diss on people i'm if you can go great mm. but just cuz someone goes to Henzo's doesn't mean they're now you know,
1: Yeah, all I get you. You can't just have a tourist holiday yeah. somewhere and pick up everything. And that's
0: you. kind of a little bit of a thing. Oh, yeah, this guy's beaten the Henzo's and this guy's – there's like a small crew of Australians who actually really have been there a fair bit and kind of know what's going on. Um, and i probably know who most of those guys are, you know. Um, so anyway, so I'm thinking, how are we going to get around this? So I just – I said to Jace, I, I said, what do you reckon if we could do FaceTime privates? And he mm. said, "I don't know. We haven't done anything like that before, but maybe um, my Siri's listening to me. <laughs> She's listening. Stop listening to me.
1: They're, they're all they're all listening.
0: She's playing a song now. Okay, sorry about that. That's all right. Um, fucking hell. Um, anyway, so yeah, he look, 'Look, I've never done that before, mm-hmm. but let's give it a go. We'll just see what happens.'" Yep. and yeah we just we set it up but it kind of took a little bit to get in the groove and it's funny because like in the current climate for people listening to us right now we're right in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic everyone's yeah. locked in their houses um every every man and his dog's now putting on Instagram oh if you want to do privacy with me exactly uh, yeah. I'm kind of like guys I've been I've been doing this for a bit yeah and um but it was tricky right because even with private lessons, if you just do a private lesson once a month, once every two months, you're going to get a little bit. But you're just getting spatterings of information. There's only so much. It's the same as going to a seminar, right? Yeah. Seminars are fun. Seminars are good. You pick up a few moves, but they're not going to give you a whole game or a whole system. And you probably agree with me, Sonny. You've been to a yeah. lot of different stuff. And I'm not saying don't go to seminars, or but I'm saying. To, for me to get, my end goal was to have a thorough understanding of what those guys were doing and try to replicate that with my team. That was my goal. So I knew I couldn't do that just with a couple of random private. so i had to I had to go all in. It was either all or nothing with this. Mm-hmm. so I went all I went all in with it. So it became a business expense where I had to be able to put aside, and this is the thing, a lot of people aren't willing to spend money because there's no direct avenue for income back for that. Like I could run the academy. And teach just standard jiu-jitsu, standard jiu-jitsu that I learned, you know, up until black yep. belt. And that would have keep the people coming through the doors, new white belts would come in, it, all that would be fine. But that was that's not how I operate. Like anything I do, and anyone that knows me will tell you this, I only want the very best. And if I can't have the best, uh, I'm n- not willing to just settle. I would rather have nothing. And I'm the same with that with my jiu-jitsu, right? So once I saw what I wanted to have and what I saw that quality and felt that quality, everything became about trying to understand that and get to a point where where I not 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 that I could do the techniques, but that I could understand it enough to get a whole team of guys to do it. You know, it wasn't about me. See a lot of guys are about themselves becoming a good athlete. And that's perfectly fine if your goal is to uh, be the next ADCC champion, worry about you as an individual. But for me, it was trying to upskill as the best, you know, my end game. And this is not like a competition thing, but my end game is to try and be one of the most respected coaches in Australia. Like that's that's a, like a legitimate goal of mine as a coach. Um, mm-hmm. Not because I want to be big noted, but just I want to be I'm dedicating myself 100%. It's like, ah, it's like if I was a surgeon, I would want to be the best surgeon. That, that would yep. be just how I operate. You're probably the same sort of way. Like, I don't just aim to go, ah, you know, I'm just happy to be a surgeon, just be the middle of the run. Like, I would want to be the guy that you know, had the cutting edge techniques and it's the same with what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So that's where all this has led to and this obsession. And then it just rolled from there. And, and you know, initially it was like I could only afford to do once every fortnight. And then it was like, fuck, I had even more questions to ask. And I'm like texting him during the week and he'd write back and I'm like, well, we've got to do this every week. So then like by by the end of it, like Jason and I are doing a face-to-face when I say face-to-face basically like you know we're doing here once a week but then I'm texting between I'm sending him training videos he's getting back to me like what about this position he's like yeah yeah and now we've got to a point where we're you know bouncing stuff to each other and it's phenomenal like it's it got to a point where it all went from just being a bunch of moves I was trying to remember to becoming like this overall system that plugged together and I know that I don't like how that gets thrown around nowadays. Everything's a system. Everyone, yep. everyone's got their own DVD with a system now. Go fuck yourself. Like, <laughs> no one, no one had a system before. No one ever talked about systems before. Danaher created legitimate systems. Everyone bagged him for it, and now every fuckwit's on fucking BJJ fanatic selling their system. So they can all go fuck themselves. But, um, <laughs> that's just a side note. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Everyone's got a system for everything now. Before, no one, everyone just had techniques before. But now they, it's like they think systems is the way they, they're they're going to sell their new thing. But gotta have a system. Gotta, have a, gotta system. have a system. You
1: know what I'm saying? You, you know you what know, I'm saying. I know. I know exactly what you mean. No everything. one ever
0: used the terminology system before. Danaher started talking about systems, and then when he started talking about it, they all gave him shit about it. And then uh, anyway, but um, I can't praise Jason Rao enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who's in the game that knows the guy will say exactly the same thing. Um, I have heard recently
1: a lot more people. I've heard his name start coming up with a lot more, um, people talking about how he's kind of a hidden, hidden talent or, you know, killer in the gym and, you know, to look out for him just in, in a couple of different interviews in the last, in the last few months, actually. So there definitely might be, uh, you know, definitely a bit more media exposure coming his way. Probably. Um, but yeah, so you've 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 created that connection, which is really, you know, you've really gone out of your way and had to persevere to do something like that from, you know, the other the other side of the world basically, to be able to make that that yeah. bridge that gap, which is which is huge, and I. I've not heard of anyone else going to those to those lengths to be able to to be able to do do that. And especially well, it, doesn't make
0: with... sense to, it doesn't make financial sense. It makes no financial sense. See, I'm not I'm not and I've said to people, if if you want to be rich, don't start a jiu-jitsu gym. Like people think guys with a jiu-jitsu gym are rich because what they see on the outside is oh there's a guy doing there's a guy doing jujitsu and making a living. He must be killing it. You know, he's got Oh, I counted on the mats fifty people and he's charging them oh he's got this much money he's pocketing. Like people have no idea about business, but but that's a that's a side topic again. But mm. it's um it doesn't make financial sense to do what I'm doing. I could make the same amount of money not doing this. So mm. it's yeah, a, yeah, lot of, it, a lot of see. see what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of guys a lot of guys are not driven by anything unless it's going to result in money in their pocket. Mm-hmm. But for me, I wasn't, I would not have kept running a gym if I couldn't have run it to the level that I'm at. That's how my obsession works. Not, mm-hmm. and it's not about me. It's, I can't stress enough. It's not about big noting me. It's not about that at all. But if, if the proof can mean the put in that my guys go to a tournament and you see every one of my students from white belt to black belt, doing a particular style of jiu-jitsu that's different to everyone else and they're submitting everybody I'm happy with that I can live mm-hmm. that's what I, that's what I can live with you know mm-hmm. sorry to cut in on you there but that's that's why other people aren't doing this
1: yeah well the, no, that that makes sense and so then I mean that added benefit from getting those you know the, the face-to-face and the creating that connection like you know, how much extra additional does that get for you, other than just watching, say, the DVDs? You know, everyone can know go yeah. on now buy the Danaher DVDs. That's gonna yep. be the that's yep. gonna be the system. Why should why should I, I just do that? And that's gonna get me the that's gonna get me the Danaher system for for a lot less. What's what's yeah. the added
0: benefit? Good question. Because I asked myself the same question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I started. I went to New York. I started learning this stuff. I started to make a little sense of it because the other thing to remember is I didn't make inroads with Jason Rao because I was looking for some type of in to do this. This this just kind of happened organically. Remember, remember, nobody knows who Jason Rowe is, even Belly still now. So me meeting Jason in the training room, it was just all purely, a, the word gets overused, but it was organic. It was, we met each other. I trained with this guy who I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, what, what is this that makes no sense? And I saw him doing it to everybody. And I'm like, l- l- I need to know what this guy's doing. Like, so it was as simple as that. There was no ulterior, like me trying to, oh, you know, I'm going to get in here, I'm going to get to know that guy so I can try and learn his shit. It wasn't like that. We just got to know each other and go from there. But anyway, we start training. We start, I start learning some stuff. And then next thing, Danica, then who goes, Tomorrow I've got my Leglock DVD coming out. My whole system's going to be on there, and I'm like, "Fuck," has has is the cat out of the bag now? Like that's what I was thinking. Is like, geez, now that every every retard now is going to is going to fucking have this information, and I've just tried so hard to gather this. You know, I've been fucking gathering sticks from the tree, and then a dump a bunch of timber just got dumped on the ground there, and the other guys just walk and pick it up. And. Yeah. Uh, well, I remember at the time I went to the the first seminar he did out
1: here in Sydney and he was, and you know, that was when it was all still underground, you know, no one knew mm-hmm. this was the, you know, he's given up some of the secrets and, you know, he goes, you know, if you ever see me release a DVD, you know, I'm, you know, it was like, I'm hurting for money or, you know, I need the money or something like that. It was still at that point, he's no way is he ever going to put it out. He wants that competitive advantage. Yeah. Uh, but then obviously that's, Think things things have changed a lot since then. Now everything's mm. getting getting put down. But so how so the DVDs come out? Your, you know, then how did that what, what was your thought
0: process on from there? So if you somebody consider is this if that was my thought process, what's the thought process of the immediate team? Like for them, it's got to be even, even you know, it's gotta be tenfold, doesn't it? If if I'm thinking yeah. If I'm thinking shit, this information that I thought was something that I was gathering that was quite rare is now not so rare because it's available to anybody. that can they can either A afford the money or B pirate it like plenty of people do. So what does it what does the team think? Mm-hmm. You know, and I spoke to Rao about it. And um and basically those guys aren't worried. First of all, it's John's information. And I thought, you know what it is? It's John's information. If he wants to give it he's worked so hard to create all this. And as we know, jiu-jitsu—I've just said—it's not something people make a lot of money out of for how much time and expertise we have to acquire. Like the same level of expertise we need to acquire in this to really, to really do like at the level that some of us are doing it at. Um, I don't know if it's fair, but but I think it's fair to liken it to some, you know, some high-level stuff in the corporate world. Like for how much time you put into things. Mm. I mean, you're a university guy. You probably see. There's probably guys getting through university working less hard than guys that are studying for this sort of thing, maybe. Like. The
1: amount of time you have to put
0: into jujitsu, jitsu all that is, yeah, it's it's a, it's a lot. It adds up. That's no doubt about that. Yeah. So anyway, so I thought, who am I to – I had to like slap myself. say, like, Who am I to fucking kind of be a bit pissy that this guy's sold his own information? That was the first thing, right? So then sure. I'm like, okay. So then the DVDs come out and they became a useful tool for me as well because there was a lot of just little – what John's done with the DVDs, particularly the the main systems, um, like the kumora the back take, the the leg locks, the um, triangles, the armbars, he's given the the kind of basics of the system, a couple of setups, he's given the the preamble and the understanding of the positions, just a lot of good foundation stuff that people knew bits and pieces of, but him explaining it, really, so. What I'm trying to get out there, it, it wasn't enough that if, if people just grab John's DVDs, they're going to become better players, but they're not going to become Gary Toner or Gordon Ryan or Jason Rao or Nick Ronan or Frank Rosenthal. You know, that's what mm-hmm. I realised. I realised that that's not that's not going to be it. So, and then the next thing I realised was that people actually don't a lot of a lot of people I should say don't have the ability to sit down. And first of all, actually listen to everything he's saying and take it on board because he, he does lecture very much like a university lecturer does. Now, as much as I'm likening jiu-jitsu to university, a lot of the guys doing this um, aren't people who are more academic base. but John delivers it in a more academic style. So I think there's a lot of these guys that are kind of like, oh, he talks too much. I just want to see the move and fucking – I mean you probably heard guys say, I just want to see the moves. I kind of flick through and look at the yeah. – you know, I mean, um, it's uh,
1: I some of it, uh, find myself hard to get through. It's it's you know very yeah. drawn out. Sometimes I'll mm-hmm. speed it up, I'll, you know, put it on one point one point two speed, and just okay, yeah. I can get through it easier. See, I'm it's, what I'm. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough watch sometimes.
0: Yes, yeah, so that 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 works in my favor because I'm fucking half autistic. Where because this is literally. I'm trying to be the very best at this. I want to understand everything he's saying. So I'm spending hours each day at the gym sitting here intently looking at that, trying to understand why he's saying each thing and remember each thing because I need to also be able to teach it to people. So I, I will never teach something to somebody that I don't understand myself. I will never just regurgitate a technique to people that that I remember the moves of. Like like many jiu-jitsu, I'm going to say in inverted commas, coaches, do that like nowadays you know everyone's a jiu-jitsu coach now um i won't do that so i need like i have a i have a um i've got to uphold my own kind of code of honor where i've got to understand this i've got to immerse myself in it so that what the dvds did was they kind of filled in some holes And then with the stuff from Rao, I kind of became, it becomes like a paper mache where eventually that one piece of paper that was nothing becomes something that in the end is usable and and quite sturdy. And that's where it's getting to. And then it gets to a point where you, once you understand those basics of the systems, then it's all the extras, the setups and the, what if they do this? And that's where, you know, Rao and I, you know, get so much, we get so much further now with each session, like. Because I have a pretty good understanding. I don't know if you've frozen me, Sonny, or you've had a stroke. I'm not sure. Oh, no. Sonny Brown. Did you have a stroke, mate? You look like you're back.
1: Yep, I'm just back now. I okay. think that
0: was me. <laughs> Bloody uh, northern, northern suburbs. Northern yeah, suburbs, mate. Guys. I was going to say, if you've had a stroke, I wouldn't go to the hospital now. You're better off going without it.
1: <sighs> no mate. Okay, we're back. We're we're, we're back though.
0: Um, I'm not sure what happened, but I'm not sure where we froze on. But I was um, where did we froze? Where was I up to when it froze? So on you were
1: saying it was um, it was uh, you know, you were paper mashing it together from the mm. the Dan- yeah. Danaher and the 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 Rau. Yeah. So it was. So the basically the DVDs were giving you give people you know, a, a broad overview, but there's still plenty of yeah, things that aren't covered in them that you, yeah. can, that you can pick up.
0: Is yeah, that- there's still plenty of meat on the bone. There's pl- plenty of meat on the bone. So I'm not saying that John holds back stuff, but what I'm saying is if you think a 10-hour DVD is going to give you John's back attack system, you, it's a little bit of broken thinking, you know. It's just a little bit of broken thinking. You need to be you need to be right there in front of him or basically as, as good of that. So, um, you know, and, and, the, and the fantastic thing for me is is that Jason has a different style as well. So it's like the Dana the Hood DVDs and information that he puts out actually bolsters me now because I get that aspect, but I also get Jason's aspect from things. And Jason works on a lot of stuff himself. And there's, there's guys like him and JC, like John Callistine, who if you don't know who that guy is, He's another kind of unknown guy, who, if we're being, if we're being honest, is one of the best in the world. Definitely at 135 or 145 pounds, he is. He's another one where him and Rao are the two that I've trained with, where I've never experienced anything like that as far as submission ability. Um, Gordon, Raul, Gordon Ryan, obviously, is you know at the top of the list. He's the best in the world. Um, but you take Gordon a, aside from that. Um, jason and jc are just submission machines and it's everything's mm-hmm. so tight and so precise in the way they think about things and you know i didn't mention it before i've since been back to new york two more times now and each time it's like i jump back on the treadmill and we're not starting from zero we're at like seven And the next time i went in it was like we're starting at 10 and it's like we're just fucking going and and it's each time i've gone back there my skills up up, up more to where they're like, okay, this guy's actually a good training partner for us now. And yeah, okay. I'm not saying I'm not saying that I give either of those guys trouble, but I my skills moved up to a point where they're like, okay, this guy's like, kind of one of us now. And it yep. would become, it's become less of me being the uh, you know the retarded white belt, and now I'm kind of like in with the team a little bit, and that's been obviously even more helpful. So there's just there's a whole bunch of things that have happened to where we're at now. Which you couldn't just manufacture. Like mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, I couldn't just assume that was all going to happen in the beginning. It's it's got there through a lot of hard work and a lot of time and a lot of study. And you know, the only reason that they put the time in with me as well is because I'm like them. I'm totally obsessed with this, and I'm I'm obsessed about the minute details. And and it's a it's an actual living for me. It's not a hobby. Yep. And um, you know, I feel I feel very um you know, I'm kind of proud of myself to, that I worked on that and got to that point because it's it's not been easy and it's obviously something that not many other guys in Australia have done. You've got Craig Jones who's gone over. Um, mm-hmm. You've got... Um, Isaac. You've got, you got young Isaac Michelle who's done that as well. But there's not that many. You've got Ethan Thomas who's gone a little bit um, as well. But there's not that many of us that have done it. You know, there's the guys who have popped over for a week or two here and there, but that's not the same thing is immersing yourself and mm-hmm. um it's fucking exciting man because yeah. I'm telling you it's a different thing and, and you 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 understand that but it's some yeah. of the guys listen some of the guys listening are thinking to themselves oh yeah yeah whatever like my coach is good you you know you should wrestle with my coach or you know if my coach wrestled with Gary Tone and he, or you know the black belts at my gym maybe maybe but unless I know those guys and have seen them do their thing probably not and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm just speaking from from a very fucking truthful position. Um, and it's been shown on the highest level. It was really cool to kind of jump on board this train before the train was something. Like, it was cool to be on the leg lock train before it became a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of don't like things once they're cool. I kind of wish I didn't have tattoos. I got <laughs> tattoos before they became cool. And then everyone got a tattoo. And then I'm like, fuck, I wish I didn't have them. You know, that's my thing. And, um... It's nice that I got on this train. 2017 ADCC was a a big validation for me. It was a matter of okay, good. I knew this was the right direction, but that val- like validation is obviously an important thing. And 2017 ADCC was a massive validation. Obviously, every submission grappling tournament between then and and then last year, but then the 2019 ADCC finals was just, you know, obviously mm-hmm. a massive a massive big tick for the whole Danaher School of Teaching. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to see where this keeps going because it's, um, it's crazy. And I can't say enough how, you know, I'm at a, I'm at a level now where I feel very confident against good guys. Um, and I'm not saying that in a cocky way. I'm just saying like, I've gone with the best guys in the world. I feel very confident against like a local good guys, but I'm not doing this to make myself better where I'm excited to see is where my team goes in the next year, two years, three years. Yeah. That's what's exciting for me. Like I'm really excited, you know, for, for yep. that. Um, but, uh, anyway, I've been talking too much. Keep asking questions. Yeah, no, ground. that's,
1: I mean, I'm, um, I'm, um, very excited to see where that goes as well because yeah I mean when I've gone out there and trained with you recently won't go into specifics but you know a certain thing in my game that I that I was doing and and was just uh, starting to develop that I was getting a lot of success with uh with a lot of with a lot of different people I went out there and you cut cut through it like a you know hot knife through butter and I'm like okay you know there's something else going on here but then the best thing was then rolling with all your uh you know your other students is I could and their different skill levels I could see that they too were going for the same for the same thing that you had done to, to shut down my game. And I could see, you know, the, the higher level they were, the bit, the the sharper they were at doing it. Mm -hmm. And it was, you could really see that progression. And I was like, that's cool. You could see how they're all, you know, working the same thing and they'll, you know, they're all on the same path. And that was, uh, that was, that was very uh, good to see from, from a student base to know that, you know, there there was those levels of skill, but they were all, putting together the same kind of system that is obviously a very successful, a very successful system to be working. So I want to get into the, uh, like the specifics of the, of the private lessons that you Mm. do via zoom. Cause obviously now everyone's been rushing around the last couple of weeks to figure out the best way to do things, uh, for, you know, the first time, but you know, you've had the experience of doing it so how did that develop for you what have you found the best ways to do that to do you know private lessons online and, and what what tips would you give would you give people if they're trying to figure out
0: how to do it themselves first of all fuck you guys for trying to take my idea and learn information from other guys <laughs> secondly um, like I said I, I like to be the, guy, the only guy doing it now that everyone's doing it it's like ah it's not so cool anymore um, look but you know what? I I want. I know what a grind this this game of jiu-jitsu is, and I know I know what a grind it is for the athletes. And if they can make money from people doing this, I'm 100% all for it. So I would never I would never stand in the way. If anyone came to me and was like, "Oh, I want to do a lesson with Jason Rao," I would never be like, "Oh, don't do that. It's my thing." I want everybody to go into a private. Game. I want that guy to. I want to blow that guy up so much that he's got every everything he ever, ever wants you know so um that's tricky for me but i want i want everyone to and, and right now you've got access to so many good guys that are literally saying on their instagram yeah hit me up i want to do it because they're in a position so i don't use zoom i don't use skype um i use uh facetime because okay. let's praise the apple overlords i'm um I'm just, I've got everything through Apple so and, and Rouse, Rouse on Apple as well. So it just worked. It was just a platform that I use and I know. Um, what it allowed me to do was use my computer, my Mac to call, and it meant I could use my phone for recording the session. So okay. obviously the first thing I'll say is um, do not record a session with someone unless you've got explicit permission from them to do that. Um there's nothing worse than trying to film or sneak, sneak filming someone, whether it's at a seminar, whether it's a private or whatever, if you don't have their permission, because that's their information that they're giving to you. And, and that's actually very rude to just assume you, you kind of own the rights to filming that. That that's, that's something that I'm really, I really think is important. I mean, nowadays people seem to think they've got a right to write the fucking everything, but you don't like that person worked very hard for that information. Secondly, and this is just like going through the disclaimer first, this is my disclaimer. Yeah. Don't gather the information and then put it on your Instagram the next day like it's your move. It's a fucking douchebag move and you're a cocksucker for doing it, okay? That's very important that people understand that. I hope you're allowed to swear on your channel because... Um, Why not? Eh? Why not? <laughs> have I just ruined your whole your whole no, channel now? I don't think so. so it's, um, it's, it's very important, but like you, you would have seen it. Oh, we've all seen it people trying to show other people's techniques as if they are their own. If you look on my Instagram, you will not find you will you'll find barely any techniques, and if you do and it's something someone else has shown me, I'll be giving them the credit for what it is. I hate people just regurgitating other people's stuff to try and get more followers for themselves. So I think just make sure you're using the information for the right reasons, I suppose. Um, and if you plan on just blowing it up on your own Instagram, be very honest with the person you'll getting it from and say to them, I'm going to be showing everyone else your stuff as if it's mine and just see what they think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, let's assume you've, you've done all your disclaimers and, and they're happy to actually teach you information. Um, first of all, Work at the, the big thing can be timings. When you talk, when you're with international guys, obviously our timings are are all over the shop. So the big thing that was always difficult with Jay and I is trying to work a time that would suit me and suit him, um, because you know he's busy, I'm busy. So that's the thing. Also, you you really have to have an uki at your end, um, uke uki, training partner, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You need you need one. The sessions I've done with him without an uki have been good uh, information-based sessions where I just asked him, him information. But as soon as we get to a point where it's like, okay, you know, this is what I do in that situation, it's very difficult when we've just got to talk through it. As you know, Jiu-Jitsu is quite complex. And mm-hmm. especially some of the stuff you're probably going to do with a better guy. It's not going to be just like an arm bar from Mount, just put your leg here. But even if you think, if you've never seen an armbar from Mount before and then someone tried to just talk you through it without physically, there's, there's limitations of that. So, you know, I would say definitely have an Uki make sure the timings are right so you've got you're ready to go i would say definitely respect that their time is valuable you're going to them because they're they have information for you don't book it and then can it five minutes before it don't you know have them wait for an hour all that stuff is bad 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 and and purely expect that person to never deal with you again you know so if you have someone like a jason Rao, for instance don't, you know, book him in for, for a 10 o'clock session and then at 11.30, You're like, ah, sorry, man, I kind of got sidetracked, you know. Yep. Um, all those sort of things. The same sort of respect you probably should show anyone, but I, I think because it's online, people maybe think that it's just they can get away with certain liberties, but all the same things apply to to us being in person. We just happen to be doing it over over a connection, you know. And especially if you actually would like this to be a ongoing thing, Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you burn it all in the first one, they're, they're never going to deal with you again. Um, so definitely have an Uki. I would say have a list, a list of prepared questions. Um, if you're paying good money, which you will be if you're going to someone who's decent, um, you know. If you're not paying good money, maybe you should consider why you're. Um, Doing a private lesson with them. Um you're gonna be you know what I mean. Uh anyone that's anyone that's actually worth learning from should be relatively expensive because they're a specialist in their trade. Um on a side note, do not try and haggle people on their prices, don't try and ask for a discount. If you can't afford it, don't go to that person for a private lesson. That's disrespectful. If they value their time at a certain figure, you know, that's I think that's a that's another thing that's really important. Like um, you're going to them because of obviously for a reason. You're not going to them just because you found them in the in the you know on Facebook. Like yeah. you're going to them because you know their background. Um, so make sure you've got a list of questions of of techniques, either positions. Or, there's nothing worse than going to the private. Oh, just show me the cool stuff you did to submit this guy. And you know maybe that, that they'll go with that, but you won't get the most out of it. Like mm-hmm. I think I think, but I'm a very organised person. Maybe some people aren't like that. But the people who aren't like that are maybe less likely to be doing these type of sessions as well. Um so definitely have a, a list of questions or at least like a general direction, you know. If you're going with someone good who's good at this type of thing, you might be able to go, look, I don't know much about reverse De La Riva. Um, could you give me a bit of a crash course? You know, if the guy you're going with is good, he should be able to go, boom, I can, you know, if you ask me that, I could I could speak to you for three hours without taking a breath. And and you would you would get a lot of information out of it. So at least have a direction you want to go, whether it's written down or whatever. Um, make sure that you've talked with whoever you're doing it with on how you're going to uh, process a payment. You know, like mm-hmm. obviously there's you're not physically in front of them. So I think PayPal or any type of money transfer thing, anything where the money immediately goes to them. I think it's very unfair to be like, oh, look, I'll bank transfer you to it, and maybe you get it in four days or something. I don't think that's appropriate because they gave you their time on this specific day, and especially if they don't know you, it it, it might even be fair to pay them before you start the lesson on the first couple of times until there's a build-up of trust because, mm. you know, they're giving you information like, especially when we're talking online, it might be like, let's say let's say someone came to me for for a Skype lesson or whatever, and he's from japan like for all i know he does a session i never hear from him again then i just blew my private hourly rate on the guy that just you know and and he got information out of me so i would say like it might even be fair in the beginning if you don't have a a close relationship with the person that you maybe prepay for the session or maybe even prepay for a few sessions to show good good faith Mm -hmm. i think all that's important like you'll notice a lot of what i'm saying is about respecting the guy because yeah it's his information he's he's giving you that's not a right for you like, pe- because so much information is given now, I think people think it's just a right that every that everyone's inf- information is theirs. Yep. Like, I have this weird... It's a little bit of a... not A, a little bit of a... Um, what's the word I'm after? Not a diatribe. A little bit of a... Uh, fuck, the word's gone out of my mind.
1: Dogma. Tangent. A little bit of a tangent. Sorry. Tangent. A little no. bit
0: of a tangent. But, um, you know, I kind of... It's like a super popular thing in the jiu-jitsu community for people to pirate everyone else's information. There's like, Oh, I've got, I've got like 50 different instructionals on a hard drive here. And everyone's like, Oh yeah, give me that. Like we've all either received that or seen people do it. And it kind of makes me feel gross when I, when I'm now immersed in the, in the community. And I know how hard people work to create something. And I know how little money they make from jujitsu. And then people think it's their right to like own their information because their buddy, you know, ripped it off the internet. Um, Same sort of thing with these lessons. If you're going to do private lessons with people, respect that that's their information and make sure you're doing the right things through it. If you're doing it to make yourself better or in my case to try and teach my students, I was very upfront with Jason when I was teaching this and he was more than happy for that to be the case. But like I said, you won't see me on Instagram showing techniques that Jason Rouse showed. You'll never see me show a technique that he says to me is something he's working on or something. You'll never see that. And I would have never got to a position where I have his trust if I'd done that. So, you know, if you plan on just doing a one one and go and just burning burn the guy, you know, that's up to you. But I don't think that's right. So I would say just if if make sure that, you know, there's a level of trust between you in that in that regard. Then you're going to actually be able to have follow-up sessions as well. And, um, but yeah, if you make sure you're new make sure your timing's is good and then stick to the timing. If you guys agree to an hour, don't try and push it out to an hour 15 and hour 20. Cause you might also find that they don't feel that they might not feel comfortable to kind of like make a hard call at the end of it. You know, like I think you need to look at the time you guys start and then either set a timer or whatever. And just say on that and the end of that time, okay, yep. That's our hour, man. Um, I think it's not fair that they should have to kind of, Hold, pull you up at the end of it and go hey um you know we've gone over this time like again that's just coming back to respecting that guy who's giving you the time and information um mm-hmm. i know all that seems very very much like i'm talking about the other guy a lot more but that's he's he's the one giving you the information so i think you've got to re- really respect that um and then you know if you were, if you were lucky enough that you could record the the session you then need to go back through, you need to study that, you need to like, however you like, I catalog everything I've got. I couldn't, unless you're an autistic savant, you're not going to be able to just retain things immediately. Like mm-hmm. even things, I watch sessions I've done with Jason two years ago and I'll I'll be like, fuck, I, I didn't remember that particular thing till six months later. It didn't become like a, I, like he's talking about to me there and I look like, He's talking to me in Swahili, yeah. and it's not till six months later that I'm like, finally, that's just a thing now. So the other thing is have very realistic expectations. That a one-hour session is not going to make you into Gary Toner or Gordon Ryan or Jason Rao, um, yeah. or whoever it is that you know you're trying to aim towards. Like, have realistic expectations of what you're going to get out of this. Um, so if your list of questions is 25 techniques long, and you're just trying to be a technique collector you might find as well, you're not going to get as much out of it. Um, you need to really understand the why. So it all comes down to how people learn and how you learn. But that was kind of how it's worked for me. But there's got to, it's got to be that crossover, that paper mache effect where, like I've done so many lessons with Jason, where we've talked about the same technique 15, mm-hmm. 20 times. And over time, there's also evolution of techniques. There's techniques we talked about in 2017 that now we don't even do you know? Yep. So you've got to be willing as well, that there's going to be things put on the cutting room floor. And that's what I'm saying where in the beginning I was kind of like, Oh, everyone's got this access to information now. But then I kind of remind myself, there's not many people willing to go to the level they need to, to get to the point to where you need to, to get this to actually a very usable thing. And does that make yep. sense? Um, no, it,
1: it does. Yeah. Cause I mean, it, I mean, at the time when Danaher put put his stuff out, it was like, okay, you know, cats, cat's out of the bag. But then I know a lot of people still haven't watched it, you know, watched yep. any of it or, you know, haven't sat down. And it's like, oh, okay. I thought when there was so little available, it seemed yep. like anything that we could, we could, could find was like, Oh, this is the gold. And then once he kind of put it, put it all out and there's just so much out there now that mm-hmm. I know, you know, plenty of, plenty of people just, you know, they, they're they not going to bother sitting down for, for the 10 hours or whatever it takes to get through one and just, yeah. you know, ha- haven't, haven't seen it all. So it's, it's still not like everyone's uh, you know, seen everything. And that's sometimes i got to remind myself that where I'm like, I'm be sitting in a room and I'm like, oh, uh, you know, I guess I'll, I might just, uh, you know, I'll show the old way of doing something because you know I haven't got the new Danaher way down yet. You know, I'm just, you know, just this is the way I know. But it, in in my head, I'm thinking, oh yeah, all these students here, they're all they've all probably seen the latest stuff and they're thinking, why well, is he showing some some old some old technique? But it's you know probably a lot of people haven't just just had the time
0: to not probably to do that. definitely yeah most guys remember most guys are also doing jiu-jitsu as a hobby and this is something that i totally understand most of my students basically none of my students are making money out of jiu-jitsu i barely make money out of jiu-jitsu like i can't stress this enough to people everyone that thinks you're going to be rich for opening a jiu-jitsu gym have a good look into it before you move down that path, right? So most people doing jiu-jitsu are hobbyists. Most people are coming in because they enjoy it. They want to have fun and they want to be good at something. And, you know, we all get that bug and we end up going from there. But you've got to kind of realize that as a coach. So I've got to understand it. I've got to understand it to the nth degree where I can break it down for all the different levels of guys as well. And And it's not fair for me to sit here. It would be very cocky of me to sit here and say, I understand Danaher's teachings because once you sit in front of that guy, you no one understands Danaher's teachings. No, when I say understands, not because of his lack of, just because his depth of knowledge is so good, you'll never understand martial arts like John Danaher does because he's a different he's a different character. He's a he's a once in a once in a lifetime sort of guy. Um, you know, there's plenty of us that can try and kind of learn a little bit of his his thought processes and try to kind of go like and that's what guys are doing and that that's gonna help for other people but you're never gonna be John Danaher. But you know, if I can understand it enough where I can explain to a white belt maybe a little better way to do a mount escape than maybe the way that I was shown initially, or explain a braking mechanic for a heel hook a little better you know, that's all beneficial. And, and then just that, I keep bringing it back to that paper mache thing of just doing it over time and over time and understanding and it becomes something. It's something that most guys in my training room even, it's taken years for them to get to that point where they start to make sense. And they have that kind of, that they have that moment where it comes together for them, where they're pairing it together. You know, like my some of the blues, the purples and definitely all the browns they can flow the things together but they've been rece- they're the guys in the training room the most that's why they're at the top end of the room mm-hmm. it's the, they're the guys that are coming every night not not once a week you know so it's a it's a long burn you know it's a long burn it's i'm not i don't worry anymore about the ec- excess of information out there because most people aren't going to take it on and most people like i said to you most people have got a hard drive sitting there with all John Dennerho's dvd's that they bootlegged And most of them, it's like they've been given so much good stuff, they don't even know what to do with it. And it's like, ah, I've got it all. One day I'll watch it and they start to watch it and ah, this is fucking pretty deep. I'll just watch a couple of techniques. But if you technique sort of, if you just pick techniques out of the DVDs, that might be more useful to you than nothing, but it's not going to be useful to you to the point where, where you you're going to be like a grappler, like the guys at Hanzo's, mm. and, and here's the thing: most people have never experienced that, so they don't know what they're missing out on. That's the other thing. Unless you've experienced that, or an off, or a, a poor man's version of that, like you know, like me for instance, um, <laughs> unless you've experienced something like that, you don't necessarily have that moment where you realise how good that information is. You know what I'm mm. saying with that? Like, yeah, yeah. It's just another instructional. Andre yeah. Gavelle's got an instructional. This guy's got an instructional. Yeah. You know? Um, it's a different thing. It, their ability to submit people, and the ADCC will show you that. Nobody had a higher submission rate, and that's why we all love jiu-jitsu. None of us love jiu-jitsu because we want to be able to pin a guy. We all love jiu-jitsu because we want to strangle a guy or break his arm or leg. That's why we enjoy it. Or else we would all do wrestling. mm I'm not talking about on wrestling either because I know yeah, you're, you're a, yeah. you're a pundit of the rest of the, um, yeah, you know, hey, what's wrestling. wrong with the
1: pin, mate? What's wrong? Yeah, with
0: nothing the pin? wrong with the pin. But the reason we're attracted to jujitsu is because it's so final. There's that. Yeah. I broke your arm. I may, or I made you give up before I break your arm. That's why we, that's why we all love it. Yeah. Like you get that first tap as a white belt and you're like, fuck, I'm like a superhero. Like, this is crazy. And, and, um, Until you experience their ability to do that, especially remember, I went into their training room as a black belt. I went into the Henzo's for the first time as a black belt and definitely not a bad black belt. There's some, there's some average black belts around. There's, there's actually a lot of average black belts around. If I'm being honest, I'm definitely not like I was a good, I was a good black belt, not the best. I was a good black belt and I went into their training room and felt like a moron. I had Nick Ronan, who was a purple belt at the time, same weight as me. Um, if you don't know who Nick Ronan is, he's a guy who trains out of Sarah's and and uh, Danaher's. Absolute phenom. Actually, just got his black belt, um, which was great to see. I was sick of getting beat up by a guy who had a um, you know brown belt around his waist. Um, but I went in there and he was a purple belt, and he pumped me like he he submitted me. He submitted me two or three times, and I was like the fuck i just got bashed by a purple belt this is this is embarrassing i what I, I'm, a, I'm a complete failure and then um as i train more i realized okay they're doing a different thing to me we're not doing the same thing here like there's no point comparing my black belt to their because this is a different thing and that's where the obsession just went you know and it, uh, people listening to this are just thinking that i'm drinking the the, the Danahoe kool-aid and whatever i'm a very realistic person I don't fall for bullshit. I don't believe in crystals or fucking. I don't believe in anything. I don't believe in religion. I don't believe in anything unless you can show it to me and you can give me a very good, a very good proof, you know, series of proofs. You're not going to hoodwink me. Mm. I'm not being hoodwinked here. I'm I'm dealing very much in reality, and that's why it's so exciting for me, and that's why I'm so passionate about it. You can probably hear it, like it's it's a passion, you know.
1: Oh, for sure. And I like, I sometimes. You know, think well. I I remember I brought up, um, you know, uh, what what is it, the outside Sankaku or or something like that, or we were just talking about different styles, and uh, and I asked, you, oh, you know, what do you what do you think of that? And you mm-hmm. kind of said, yeah, it's it's fine. You know, it works works for some people, but um, you know, the Danaher guys just they've got more runs on the board, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, you know, fair fair point. There there is that. They are the best team in the world at the moment. And it's you know no gee why would we not just focus time you know just just trying to do what you're doing I mean I I find it hard to poke you know uh, holes in your method yeah Yeah. the logic of just like these are these are a top team you've thrown yourself after it to to learn as much as you can to bring it back out here to Australia Mm -hmm. you know um, and that seems like that's the best thing to do. That's one of, that's got to be, you know, one of the best ways you could be ensuring that the level of instruction that you're giving at your school, um, is up there with the best in the world with even with that massive geographical distance, Mm. because that was, you know, like always when we train MMA back in the day or, you know, and probably now it's like, there was always that belief that you have to go overseas to to train with the best like you know you you can get to somewhere in australia or so you know you get to a certain level but obviously you got to go to america to train mma or you know you got to go to brazil to train jiu-jitsu and i'm you know and i'm sure there's still there's obviously still benefit in doing that but what you've been able to still you know start to develop while still being on the other side of the world i think is it makes it makes a lot of a lot of sense it's very admirable and and, uh, commendable to take that to take that steps the steps that you have to be able to do that um i think it's you know i i I think it's it's a it's a great path forward and a good example for people who might be thinking you know what can they actually do to improve or to get to get those techniques beyond Beyond just getting the DPs, and so for your teaching style itself, how what, you know how do you think that that has impacted just your actual like explanation of techniques? Because it might I'm a, i am mean I always thought you were you you know like you were always good, but you I reckon you would feel you've improved. How do you feel that that's that that's, um, you know brought it all together for you to be able to give to the students then?
0: Yeah, so I the reason I got into like running my own academy is because I liked jitsu that was the first thing. I liked jujitsu, I had a passion for it. And it was not so it was never something that I wanted to do. Like I think a lot of guys start their own jiu-jitsu school because they want to be the guy standing in front of the group. Like we, we've all we've all seen that guy before. Even you could name the other martial arts as well.
1: Yeah.
0: I know, all, yeah. Yeah, we've all seen. Do people
1: come to yeah. mind where they? It's it's the the angle is not is yeah is to get in front of the group. It's not just to do jiu-jitsu or get the black belt, and they've got that goal yeah. from an early stage, and you can you can tell.
0: Yeah, so that wasn't my that was not my motivating factor whatsoever. Um, I really enjoyed jiu-jitsu. I didn't even realize I liked teaching people until I I had a job where I started being in, in an instructor role in a teaching role. Um, I was a weapons and officer survival instructor where I teach people firearm stuff and I teach people defensive tactics and I teach people, you know, a bunch of other things. And, and I started to realize that, and this sounds a little cocky, but I realized that I had a, a bit of a, some people have got a little bit of a natural skill. It's definitely something you can work on. So people who aren't natural presenters can become reasonable to okay presenters but some people are pretty good to start with and then can can become quite good. When teaching adults, it's not just about your level of knowledge. You've got to be good at how you deliver that to people. You've got to be good at reading people, reading a room, you know, and there's, it's different teaching, you know, one-on-one than it is teaching 60 people. There's a whole bunch of things that go into it, right? So mm-hmm. I kind of just hit this thing where I realized what I was good at. Like I think a lot of us do – jobs in our life and some people never even get to experience or get to have their job being something that they're actually good at you know there's people who are great artists or good at painting or good at making music or good at fucking digging holes or whatever but a lot of people are not always doing what they're really good at and um i don't want to use the word lucky because i made all this happen it wasn't because of luck um but I'm doing every day something I feel I was, you know, this is something I'm best at is imparting knowledge to people. So I've always felt confident in imparting knowledge, but I need to have that knowledge. I can't, um, I'm not a, I'm not a showman. So some guys are instructors where they're showmen, right? They actually don't need to have any knowledge. They're going to put on a show. The people are going to think the show was great. They're going to walk away going, that was fun. fuck that guy's cool. He's really likable. But does that guy really have a deep, deep knowledge base? You've got to have kind of both as a very good instructor as far as mm. I'm concerned. You've got to have a very deep knowledge base and understanding mixed with a a delivery method that is appealing to people. And I'm not saying there's only one style. I think there's many styles. I think that's an individual thing. You shouldn't try and copy or replicate someone else. You've got to have your own thing. So. I don't try and teach the guys how Danaher teaches, but I definitely will use terminology he uses. I'll definitely use certain things, bitch, because well that makes perfect sense to mm-hmm. uh, as far as as far as um, nomenclature is concerned, if something's been given a name, well let's utilize that name, especially with jiu-jitsu. That was a massive issue with jiu-jitsu for so long, is that nothing had a name. It was like, "Oh, just do that over th- the thing where we grab over the arm and just do that grip or everything was, as you know, it was, everything was kind yeah. of very vague and everyone had their own kind of different ideas on it. John has been very good at giving every part a name, like nomenclature is, is, is a good you know, word for that. Mm-hmm. And once you understand the nomenclature and you understand the concepts, I found the rest of the teaching quite easy. You know, I feel confident teaching to a group. I feel good at differentiate differentiating people's level of skill so i can i feel confident delivering to a white belt and in the same way i feel confident delivering to a black belt and i feel like in between i can kind of scatter the information enough where everyone gets what they need you know um that's that's something that i actually enjoy i enjoy that art side of it because that's the side where a lot of people struggle you know there's even guys and we've seen it in jiu-jitsu for instance who are masterminds who are they, they're phenomenal. They understand the stuff. But if you had to try and get 60 people to sit down and listen to that guy night in and night out, it's just not going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. he, either he doesn't have the ability to do that or they're not going to follow him. You know, teaching adults is a difficult thing. Adults are coming to you because they want to, not because they have to. Teaching school children. So basing your your tuition on how a school teacher taught you I think is broken a broken fucking mindset because they're teaching young people who have to be there. And if you talk to most people, most people hated their school teachers, most school mm-hmm. teachers, uh, this is not a, a attack on school teachers, but a lot of teachers aren't actually very good at getting to that base. You know what I'm saying there?
1: Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say like the, the, the massive difference is what you've identified in that the adults want to be there. Um, whereas with school children, you might have to spend a lot of the time just getting them to pay attention mm-hmm. or just, you know, getting them to listen, getting them to settle. And then you, you're lucky if you get that and then you can deliver some information, whereas the adults, they're there waiting for you to give them the information that, you know, no one's talking or, mm-hmm. you know, interrupting. They're waiting for you and you better be able to deliver. keep that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you better be able to deliver otherwise they you know start thinking about what else they got on and yeah. or you know maybe they'll go try CrossFit or something else, you know. It's it's a, it's a different it's a different or,
0: level of attention. Or they go to the guy down the road that teaches jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And he he speaks to them more. So I I what I what I am confident in is that I'm delivering the very best technical knowledge mixed with the very best delivery of that knowledge, if that makes sense. That's kind of like what I'm trying to do here, and I'm very confident with that. There's not a thing that, – that sounds cocky, but I'll say that in a cocky way because that's something that I've worked very hard for, and and it's a skill that not a lot of people have. There, was, there would be a lot of brilliant coaches, which is not. And that's not me having a shot at the other guys. There's plenty of other guys, teachers used to that I love, but I don't think they're the best coaches, and I don't think they're guys that I would want to get taught by. There's actually a very small handful of guys who I would like to get taught by. Um, and, uh, you know, so every day for me is about understanding the information and knowledge to the best, to the best degree that I can. So I spend a disproportionate amount of time studying. Um, I very much treat it like a job. Um, I think it's easy to kind of fuck off because it's easy to be like, there's no one here telling me, during the middle of the day to sit down. Like I teach a morning class and I've got the mi- middle period of the day. Obviously you've got all your general business things you have to do, but there's no one mm-hmm. that sits down and makes me go and study and or watch a match or come up with more questions to ask Jason Rao or, you know, whoever, or will sit down and study, you know, a Danaher DVD, for instance. Um, there's no one making you do that. It's easy enough to fuck off. So I, I really make myself accountable on that. I look at it like a job in that regard. I, I am here at the end of the night after everyone's gone and I'm probably watching another half an hour or an hour of either matches or, and trying to, and not watching them for entertainment. I'm watching them for why are certain things happening? So, you know, I've got a, I've got an obsession with it. I've always had an obsession, but it only becomes more and more. And because now I'm in a position where it's literally my career, I can just allow it to completely go overtime As long as I balance, you know, my, my home life with that. Um, obviously that's very important. I think, I find it interesting some of these guys who don't have that balance of home life, um, the, some of these jiu-jitsu players that it's all they've got. And I feel like maybe that can be a bit much for them sometimes and it gets to be too much. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you definitely need to be able to have that kind of downtime. But, um, if I'm, you know, at, at stage where I'm, I'm working, like I'm switched on and I'm trying, I have a, I feel that I have a, um, I've got to uphold something to my students. Like if they're coming to me and paying me for a service, I want to be very confident that I'm giving them the very best I can. I would never just dial in a session. I would never teach them a, a, some technique I saw on YouTube that day. Like plenty of people do. Um, I would never do that to them. And that's why I'm very confident in, um, you know, asking someone to come and, and pay me to teach them jujitsu Cause I'm going to give you the very best that I can. And not just, not the best I can, the best that you're going to get as well in probably Australia. And, and I say that, you know, confidently. My, my goal from the beginning of this was not just to open a rinky-dink martial arts academy in the local um, hall and maybe I get 10 guys and I can be their master. That's not my thing. I want to try to have the very best crop of students. And the way I do that is by giving them, you know, unbelievable information. And um, that's what fucking drives me every day. And I don't know if that answers that particular question you said, but it's definitely impacted the way that I teach the way that the information I've learned. Yeah. He hasn't, he hasn't changed how I deliver. I think John doesn't cause he hasn't taught me how to deliver information. I've obviously watched how, but I watch many different people. I don't have to yeah. watch a Jiu-Jitsu guy to learn how to deliver. I yep. can watch. I mean, I don't like politicians, but I even find myself crit- critiquing how they deliver a speech, for instance, right? Like, mm-hmm. In in this job role I was doing, another thing we did was actually teach other people on how to become instructors themselves. So because I worked in the training unit, our job role was to actually teach other people to become instructors. And that's where you learn. Once, First of all, not everyone's cut out to actually instruct other adults. Mm -hmm. Whether they really want it or not, some people just don't have that ability. Um, But the other thing is it's definitely a, a learnt skill and it's something you can work on. And you've got to be able to critique each other. Like we we as instructors would do that each other in the training unit. We'd be like, we'd, you know, a guy'd finish a lesson and maybe I've sat in and watched it and I'd be like, man, like you fucking lost them there or what was going on here? Or maybe they'd say to me, you look, you've got a tick where you're saying this over and over and over and we've, let's fix that. And I think it's like a constant thing you work on. So I'm, I'm always been very, you know, st- strict on myself as far as my delivery. If yep. I know the information well, I'm at a level now where I've instructed enough where I'm confident I can deliver that to you. You know know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely know what you're saying because that was one
1: thing I know, like your, yeah, your delivery style isn't a, you know, a copy of Danaher's and that's what I kind of felt like it's, you know, it's not that removed from how you always delivered, but obviously the, that level of information's a lot, uh, grown, grown a lot more. And, yeah, that ability to be confident that you've got from putting in all that extra work to actually get that information, that's, I can see how that's just going to help, you know, giving you that confidence to, mm. to deliver that to the students. So that yeah. makes, a, it's going to make a big difference to take those extra steps to give that confidence to then, and then have that transfer over to your, to your students. I think well, It's
0: got to be, it's got to be confidence. So, there's two types of confidence. There's confidence that's founded, and there's confidence that's not founded. Mm. Unfounded confidence, they're the worst guy you can ever come across. They, and <laughs> th- there's a lot of that in martial arts, too. That's... There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that just in people in general. Yeah. There's guys yeah. with levels of confidence where you go, you have no right. You have no right to have that much confidence in this specific thing. And we've seen it plenty in martial arts because we're using that as our oh, example. Yeah. It's,
1: sometimes I, w- I, I wish I could just. I could be be that confident with some things and I'll be like, oh, you know, I, but, you know, I haven't put the reps in on this or, so, you know, I'm not, yeah. not you know, a few things I don't quite know about that, so you know, I'll hold off. But yeah, yeah. I you know, I it's, it's definitely better to have that developed confidence than as you're saying, the just the, the delusional confidence.
0: Yeah, it's it's got it like my confidence is not because I'm some type of con artist who who needs everybody just to look at me as the guy. Like I can't stress that enough. And that's something that can be a a trip up for people in these types of positions. Anytime you're in an instructor role or anytime, you know, and this is just basic monkey shit. Like, you know, the monkeys all have an alpha. They got the one. and And for some reason it's in our DNA where people want to be that monkey that all the other monkeys look at. And if you're doing it because you want to be the monkey that all the other monkeys look at, you're not that's that should not be your motivating your motivating force right not not for instructing i don't think Mm. um if if let's say you're a showman or you're a let's say you're a professional fighter and you want to do it because you want everyone else to look hey that's 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 actually a very good uh thing to have because you're not the pressure of it all is probably less likely to bother you because you want everyone looking at you and putting that heat on you but as a coach if you just want to be the guy in the front of everyone and and you're just trying to kind of wink everyone into believing that you're this guy that maybe you're not th- I feel like that will get caught out in the, in the end anyway and, and it won't be a successful thing like everything everything that I've done here is just been based purely on on just you know sounds sounds stupid but just on hard work it's just mm-hmm. literally just been hard work and um hard work and and confidence in the right direction you know, not, Yeah. not an unfounded confidence and um you know I'm very happy and and I'm not talking like I've achieved, like I've just run over the finish line. There is no finish line. I, I would never. Every day I'm like, um, every day I roll. I'm like, fuck, you know, I want to be better. Why am I not better at this? Why, why, why when I train with Jason can I just not move out of that position? And when I put someone else, and then it like, then it just starts back on that thing. Okay, there must be, you know, we're both humans with the same mechanical abilities there must be something in this and what is that if i can understand that i can teach the other guys that and they're going to be better and that just keeps going this this thing just never stops yeah and it's you know it's it's so exciting and it's such a, a cool thing to be part of and it's such a it's such a positive thing too like teaching what i run here at the academy is such a positive thing like we at the moment we're in the worst I'm in the worst p- position business-wise that you could be. I literally cannot open my business because it's illegal. Like mm. I can't do anything. And the amount of support from these people, you don't even realize how much it's like helping people. It's a really cool thing. Um, yeah, that's definitely one thing. There's, there's
1: sometimes an the undercurrent with, uh, I see online where people will just compare jujitsu to like any other service, you know, like you're not happy with the instructor, or you know, just they're, you know, you can just stop paying and, and mm. move somewhere else, which is fine. You know, everyone's, everyone's got that too, but I certainly you know, everyone's got that right. And by all means, you know, use it if, if you feel you have to. Um, but I look at it like, it's not just another service because I've been with my phone company for 10, 15 years. There's no one at the phone company that's ever invited me to their wedding or, you know, or rings me up for drinks. It's, it's like, you, You just you create different kinds of connections with people over that length of time Mm. that makes it different from other commercial businesses that you get involved in and i think that's you know it's it's, at least it's unique from what i've from what i've experienced and seems to
0: make it worth it i was blown away i was i was absolutely blown away like i'm not I'm a very um and maybe I am half autistic like I'm not an overly emotional guy. I'm not devoid of emotion, but I'm not I don't I don't I don't have my heart on my sleeve type thing. But like the the outpouring of support that I got in this shitty time and people just wanting to help and and just offering I was like this is this is unreal. Like I've always been trying to do the best thing by these people, but at the end of the day I still understood that they were paying me and that you know they're paying me to to teach them that. So that's I don't expect anything else from them. Yeah. But but then to offer and say how much like that this means to them. And you start to realize, okay, this, this means more to people. Like, so, you know, for me, my main focus is giving them the very best quality of technique because if they're going to do jujitsu, well, they, they have the right, I should, I have a right to give, not a right. I have a responsibility. um, I have a responsibility to give them the very best. I wouldn't feel comfortable if I knew that the guy down the road was delivering levels, of training like I am, and I was delivering something sub part of that, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. I, I would be in a position where I was very conflicted. Um, luckily I'm not in that position, you know, but um, I, I thought that was all, all I owed them. And I thought that was all that they were happy to receive from me, but there's a lot more that goes with it. There's just, there's so much positive stuff that this does for people that I think, I realized, but I think this whole latest thing has really cemented it for me where where you realize you were giving people more than just mm-hmm. how to break someone's arm and how to just strangle someone like there's people that come here who probably get the most amount of positive input in their life that they do anywhere. They probably go to a job they fucking hate. maybe they don't have much of a family or maybe the family they do they kind of don't get along that well with or whatever like this 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 could be a place where they feel, safe and co- no, I don't mean safe, like a safe space, but you know, they walk yep. in and just feel good. Like they walk in, yep. no one's hassling them out about any of their daily shit. They can come in here, have some fun. They feel good. They walk. There's like so many positive things around it. And, and I think that's, um, it's not something that I lose track of, but it's something that I think is important to remind ourselves, especially as a coach that um, you're probably more to some of these people than just a guy that gives them, information on how to break someone's legs and that's the side of it that i didn't get into this because i wanted to be someone's life coach mm. but if that's a little bit of a side product where guys are taking good good um you know information from the teachings or whatever well that's fantastic you know um that's a really really cool thing yeah and it's
1: it's uh, that positive benefit is so great that and i think you know there has to be to uh, there has to be that there to drive people to keep coming back because there's a lot of easier things, you know, easier ways to get a workout. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of, you know, other, you know, you can just go do whatever burpees in the park if you want to get a sweat on That's or something. That's illegal as
0: well, isn't it? That's, That's illegal. Legal. that, that illegal?
1: Uh, No, you, you can very do that. I'm <laughs>
0: it,
1: it, it is. But, you know, if people want to get fit. They, there's other things they can do. If people want to do another sport, there's other games they can play. If they're looking for entertainment, you, you know, the world's your oyster for stuff like that. So there has to be that little bit extra that draws people into such a tough sport, you know, such a uh, you know a, a hard way to actually get those It tests your character. It's
0: going to be character testing. Yeah. And you don't have to – you can scoot through life without really having your character tested. You can – Pretty much once you come out of school, you could scoot through the rest of your life doing some miserable job and never really test yourself. But you come into a jiu-jitsu academy, you're going to get tested on the mat that first day. Someone's going to, you know, someone's going to physically best you. Someone's going to, you know, you maybe you're going to fit. There's a lot of whole, There's a whole lot of character testing. And then maybe you do your first tournament and you're super nervous and you're freaking out. No one's making you do this. You're doing this. And it kind of builds this certain type of person. And so you can't put your finger on, why there's so many cool people we kind of come across in this industry, but I think there seems to be something to do with all that mixed together of information that has this kind of similar output each time, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. it's yeah. I definitely can't put my finger on it exactly like mm. why that is, but it's, it's that, it's that pushing, you know, putting yourself out there, you know, pushing yourself to the edges a bit, that constant level of, you know, of problem solving and thinking that, that does go on. Yeah. And it just seems to, yeah, you know, create those positive outcomes. I think for people that are looking for it, if you know, if that's what you, if that's what you want to get out of it, I think it's, you know, it's there to give you that positive
0: experience back. Sounds like we're doing an ad for jiu-jitsu now, Sonny Brown. <laughs> jiu-jitsu. <laughs> no, if you want to sign up, you got to come down here and you got to pay us a whole bunch of money. No, no, that's, that's um, that's not. That's
1: good, man. Yeah. I think that's a that's a good place to to, to yeah. wrap this one up. I think that's, yeah, it's it's. It's finished on a nice,
0: well, if anyone on a nice does, positive. If anyone uh, does bike. want to come and learn Jiu-Jitsu Sunny Brown, they need to come to Sydney West Martial Arts. They need to come down here. They need to uh, do a trial class and see if they enjoy strangling or getting strangled, probably getting strangled on their first day, and uh, and go from there. But anyway, they can find us from there. Look, um, thanks so much for having me on. Hey, um, thank you, Luke. It's been a, an excellent uh, chat. And I'm yeah.
1: looking forward to when all this stuff dies down, I can get back out there and get some, get some good, rounds in. Yeah. Get
0: my hands around like this, like a rape choke. <laughs> <show>, like... <laughs> Why do they do that in movies, right? If I'm going to choke someone, the rape choke is like one of the worst because it's only like the strength of my like my hands trying to push into the front of your throat or from behind it's even worse because I'm just trying to push on the side of your crawlers. What the fuck?
1: That I'll I'll let I'll let that one fly with the with the teaching uh with with the teaching degrees going on I won't, I won't go into specifics on that one mate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look whatever you want to call this choke what, what what do you call that choke? Do you do you have a good name for it? Z- zombie choke I think uh, yeah. The, the two handed choke.
1: The two handed choke.
0: <laughs> You know, there's better ways to strangle people is what I want to say. There's
1: better ways to strangle people. There's, there's I'm certainly... not
0: advocating rape. That's clearly not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that's not a very good way to strangle someone. Anyway, Sonny, it's been great <laughs> gonna, talking to you, mate. I'm, I'm going to chop that bit out on my <laughs> own. Of course you will. I won't chop it out on my one because <laughs> we'll be rolling all the stuff. way through. Yeah,
1: no, That's fine, mate.
0: That's fine. You're a good man, Sonny Brown. Um,
1: yeah, no, good stuff, mate. Let's chat again sometime and, yeah. And, yeah.